people are putting expectations on themselves to be showing up with that energy, interviewing or building their profile and and whatever that might be. But again, we're just stealing that energy from an unsustainable source. In fact, you know, we are not a machine that actually we are a biological battery, which is great. It does mean we can recharge our energy, but we actually operate in 90 minute energy cycles. It's called the ultradian rhythm. And, and they discovered it around the time of the circadian rhythm, which regulates our sleep. And the ultradian rhythm regulates our waking energy cycles. And what they have found in all the research is that effectively, and we can feel this when we wake up in the morning, we get that burst of energy and then we're like in flow and then there's a tapering off and maybe we're like, oh, I need to get another coffee or a muffin or whatever. Welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. If you're an accomplished professional ready to attract ideal opportunities, level up your career growth, and create a powerful presence in your industry, you're in the right space. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and I'm passionate about helping executives and business professionals become visible in their space, establish themselves as a leading authority, and create their dream opportunities. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Career Success Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Macris, and today I have a special guest, Claire Robinson. Claire is an executive coach and a leadership program facilitator. Claire's on a mission to enable leaders and their teams to thrive in the face of the rapidly changing world and business environment. She works with human-centered organizations to create cultural conditions for their people to thrive now and into the future. She's worked with thousands of leaders across APAC, UK and the UAE to redress their work-life balance, attain a higher level of performance and more skillfully navigate through change and challenge. This is a really great conversation. I'm sure you'll get heaps out of it. And don't forget to rate and review and subscribe if you're not already. So welcome, Claire. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm so excited that we had this in and I can't wait to connect with your community and talk to you guys all about energy and being that little bit more luminous in our life and work. Well, it's such an important topic and so relevant for the day and age we're in. So why don't we start with a little bit about you? What was your career before you started your business? Yeah, so my first career was in advertising across basically media, creative and digital agencies. And so, and you know, it was one of those careers, I would say that, you know, I went to university in the UK. And when I was coming out of uni, it was like, oh, okay, just take whatever job you can. It was like the time of recession. And so I kind of fell into, literally fell onto probably Fleet Street in London, which was kind of the home of media at the time and sort of fell into this career, um, first off as a data planner, then as a communication planner and sort of worked my way up through agencies and client side marketing teams as a kind of communication strategy lead and ultimately running agencies before I changed my career. The last kind of gig that I did in the agency world was running a social media business. Gosh, this is like 10, 11 years ago, one of the first. And you literally could be on 24-7. And we were advising and working with brands like Coca-Cola and Nestle. And so it was this really interesting time, you know, and we think about this time right now with AI completely changing the game. It was kind of the infancy of social media changing the game for brands. And so you literally learning, you know, you could be on 24-7. We were needing to be responsive 24-7. 
And, you know, I spent my time talking to CMOs about what this thing called social media is. So it was a really, really wonderful, crazy, fast-paced time of my life working with some big, beautiful brands, advising them how to show up across all of their media channels. But I guess ultimately for me, operating in that world led me to quite consistently burn out. And the reason for the career change or pivot, I remember I was I was regularly kind of working really crazy hours and, and had a big team. And so I would go and put myself in these retreat environments where I could completely switch off and digitally detox and like step out of this crazy always on world. And I remember thinking when I was there, you know, this isn't getting any better and just removing myself from this environment isn't really solving the issue the way that I was working. And I had really was hitting, you know, burnout quite consistently. And I remember on my fourth day of this particular retreat, I went in to see a naturopath and she said to me, talk me through your day. And I said, well, you know, I get up early and I get some work done. Then I get into the office and I'm with the team and I'm in back-to-back meetings all day. And then maybe at the end of the day, I get some work done. And then I, you know, get a healthy-ish takeout on the way home, collapse into the sofa with a glass of wine and some TV and then go to bed, wake up probably thinking of my to-do list at two or three in the morning kind of like rinse and repeat. And I'm sure many of the people kind of of your community listening would relate to that. And she said to me one really profound thing that changed the game for me. She said, at what point do you eat? You know, do you get lunch in your day? And I said, well, I don't always get lunch in my day because unless I've had it organized or whatever that might be by my EA, then sometimes I just can't get there on my eating at three, four in the afternoon. And she just said to me, at what point do you think it's more important to be in a meeting than feed yourself. And I was like, oh my God, that was like the knife twist in my heart, right? And I really thought, oh, I'm doing this thing called life, you know, wrong to the outside world. I've got it all. I've got a big successful career, but, you know, I was absolutely exhausted and there was nothing in the tank. And it was time to, you know, really discover what was driving me to work in that way. So that was kind of the intersection point where I got myself a coach. And started working with a coach to understand what was driving me. And I loved the process. And so that led me towards training as a coach myself and the well-being and mindfulness space and in coaching psychology and NLP and kind of led me towards this second career, which initially has been working with execs around stress and burnout. You start to teach what you know. So now I go in and and work with um, execs and leaders and their teams to really to change the conditions by which they're operating so that the conditions and the systems can allow them to actually thrive and be luminous. Because fundamentally, and you'd be feeling this, Sarah, we're going through so much change. I believe it's about shifting the paradigm and creating the conditions for people to sustainably grow themselves and their businesses. Otherwise, you know, the burnout culture, you know, is here to stay unless we shift and change it, right? So that's a lot of the work that I'm doing now. Hmm. It's very interesting because when I was working in the corporate world, you know, coming coming up through the, the ranks and it was all about the hustle. It was all about how many hours you could be doing. You know, I worked at Colesmeyer at one stage and it's a big company Australia-wide, but the head office is in Melbourne. And basically you could not park in the car park if you were not there by 7.30 in the morning, right? <laughs> so you were out, right? You were out in the back spots of the suburbs. <laughs> and that was just a typical. You had to be there at 7 or 7.30 or 7.15. And, and I was obviously in PR, so, you know, I would get a call at 
about seven, maybe earlier, you know, have you read the paper yet? <laughs> so I totally relate to that whole sort of like you were on 24-7, like there was no, you know, and, and you would fall into bed. I feel like we've got better at that, you know. I feel like people are a lot more aware. Yes, there's still, you know, your Grant Cardone's and who, you know, I, I do respect and think he's great, but he's, you know, 10x this and 10x that and, you know, you can try for a little while, but sometimes you get to a point where you're like, hang on, I just need to. I need a break. So do you feel like we've changed at all? Do you feel like we're getting better as a culture generally, I suppose, and then in the corporate world as well? I feel like this is a raging conversation that's running with all my clients and has been for the really since during and like post COVID because I think people woke up right? Nothing like a great big fat pandemic to wake people up from the inertia of being on their hamster wheel, right? And so people discovered what happens when I actually have time to myself and I can control my time a bit more and I'm not commuting in. And and actually, I can go and go to the gym in the middle of the day or go and walk the dog at 10.30 or whatever that might be. So I would say, I mean, we've been running leadership and well-being programs for 10 years, right? And it was such a hard sell, you know, in the well-being space. And they were all new concepts. Oh, take breaks in the day, you know, and all of this stuff to stay energized. And now everyone's like, oh, absolutely. I know this is how I need to be operating. But what I'm finding is because there's such a demand for my senior clients to have their teams come back in, A, they're struggling to get teams back in because they're enjoying this more by design world, but B, when they go back in the pace and the craziness because there's limited time together, I think we're falling fully back into those old paradigms. Like I don't actually think things have shifted because the pressure is on financially. I'll just say it. Like I feel like it's a pressure cooker um, at the moment, particularly. I just came off a call with a client who was telling me his whole team are absolutely battling with trying to be responsive and they're just in fight flight mode the whole time they're not thinking they're not collaborating they're really their emotions are running hot and boiling over it's tense out there I would say Sarah so I almost feel like we're on this cusp of reverting back but there's a reason why there's a lot of quiet quitting happening as well because people are like wait a minute I've discovered this other world where I get to do the things that light me up and they don't want to go back into this old world. So I don't actually think the systems are changing perhaps quick enough. Does that answer your question, Sarah? Definitely, because it's an interesting point around them wanting people to come back to the office. And I almost sort of see it like, you know, when you're at work and you're really busy and you spend your whole day in meetings and then you've got all your work to do, right? I almost see it like, okay, you've got three days in the office, all your meetings happen, and then you do your work on Friday and Monday <laughs> or on the weekend. And I think it's interesting the swing back because I have seen it a lot. And I definitely see there are benefits of being in the office, but there are also benefits of working from home, particularly if you're a bit older, you know, like you've got other things you've got to get done at home at the same time. I mean, who doesn't love putting the washing on, you know, at 11 o'clock? It feels so satisfying, you know, to get the bit of the life admin done, right, the chores, I hear you. (laughs) Exactly. So what are the risks like that you see people that potentially could fall into burnout mode? Like what are the warning signs that people should look for? Yeah, I think it's when those boundaries start slipping, Sarah. So for instance, to use your analogy from my personal story, it's when we're saying no to the gym or like the morning walk because there's an early meeting, you know, and they say, oh, I can 
hop on at eight or I can hop on at seven. My day's flat out. But if this is really important, I'm prepared to do an eight o'clock. And so there's like this erosion, I think, of those bookends in the day when you may have previously been doing things to keep you energized, time with loved ones or some exercise or whatever that might be. So that's often the first sign that I see. And the other thing that I see really regularly is maybe there's a big piece of work on or a pitch or whatever that might be. And people go into this like crisis mode and they say, I'll figure it out. Like I'll get some rest when I just hit the deadline. But what then happens is our systems get really conditioned to working on our stress hormones and this frenetic energy. And then they find it really hard to kind of reset into that rest and digest zone. So they keep operating at the same pace. And actually, that's when we start to see this big erosion and diminishing returns, frankly, of our productivity. But we start to see this slide into long-term fatigue and burnout. If you are running on your stress hormones consistently for any more than two, three, four weeks without taking proper rest breaks, then that's when you're start going to start going into the amber or the red zone. And here's the thing. When we're operating in that way, we almost don't realize that we're operating on those stress hormones. Maybe we get glimpses if the pace slows down of how tired we are. But then we just go again because we're so used to the internal feeling of operating in, in that way. And it's the classic thing where people go on holiday and the first thing that happens is they get sick because they've been numbing out, doing what they got to do, popping the pills or whatever just to push through. But we're beg borrowing and stealing our energy from tomorrow. That isn't a sustainable way of operating. So those are some of the signs that I see. I could imagine that that is something incredibly common. I mean, I know for the best part, of, well, all of my corporate career, I would have been operating like that, I'm sure. And, you know, I occasionally fall back into those traps probably. But, you know, hearing you say those things, I think, my God, that's just what I just hear people say things like that all the time. The amount of people that will say to me, yeah, I went on holidays and I got a cold or I got the flu or, and, you know, you almost just say, oh, yeah, that's just the way it is, isn't it? But it, it doesn't have to be, does it? That's what you're telling us. It doesn't have to be that way. And I think as well, when I relate that to your world, Sarah, people are putting expectations on themselves to be showing up with that energy, interviewing or building their profile and, and whatever that might be. But again, they, we're just stealing that energy from an unsustainable source. In fact, you know, we are not a machine. I don't know if you're familiar with the science around this, that actually we are a biological battery, which is great. It does mean we can recharge our energy, but we actually operate in 90-minute cycles, energy cycles. It's called the ultradian rhythm. And, and they discovered it around the time of the circadian rhythm, which regulates our sleep. And the ultradian rhythm regulates our waking energy cycles. And what they have found in all the research is that effectively, and we can feel this when we wake up in the morning, we get that burst of energy and then we're like in flow and then there's a tapering off and maybe we're like, oh, I need to get another coffee or a muffin or whatever, like some kind of shot of something to get my energy going again. The research shows us is if we keep pushing through and don't adhere to those cycles, then our energy becomes lower and lower and lower throughout the day until we're exhausted trying to get that work done 
do our high cognitive thinking at the end of the day when we've got to do our work and we're just exhausted. But what the research tells us is it can be as little as a 10 to 20 minute break, like an energizing break, like you were just saying, Sarah, before that you like napping, right? Yeah, I'm a bit of a power napper. Like when I get really, because I like to get up early about five and I find I do have, you know, do need to duck out for a bit of a half hour power nap often, especially before something like doing a podcast when I need to get that, I want to make sure I've got the right energy to bring to the podcast. So sometimes I'm like, oh, have I got time for a quick, you know, power nap? You know, it's really funny. I say to my mum, stop nap shaming me. Like, I love a nap. And she's always like, how can you sleep during the day? It's like, that's nap shaming. In my world, you are like, you get a million gold stars, Sarah, because it's exactly that. It's starting to tune in to what are the things that give me energy and how can I weave those intersection points into my day so that actually the research then shows we can maintain our energy cycles in the day. We have more energy to kind of play with. And so, you know, I'd be a super rich woman if for every time someone walked into the coaching room and said, if only I could manage my time better. But we can't, right? We all have the same 24 hours in any one day, but what we can manage is our energy if we tune into it because this is the thing. We're all so much in our heads, pushing through, numbing out to what's going on in our bodies, and that's why we collapse on the holiday or at the weekend, like exhausted and don't want to see anyone because we've just been in our heads all week. We haven't been tuning into what we call our body intelligence or our BQ, which is our ability to actually be in our bodies and respond to the cues that might be saying, we're tired, or I need to go for that nap because my energy is low, and respond in a way that enhances our overall sense of well-being, energy and health. And so I think for us as leaders, a lot is written about IQ and EQ, but not much is written about BQ and body intelligence. And I actually think this is the critical piece when we want to show up as authentic, energized leaders, we have to be tuning into our bodies and our emotions and regulating. Because when we don't, and we're in our heads and in our thinking mind all the time, you know, ultimately, that's the stuff of breakdown and burnout, that we're not listening to those cues and responding to them. I don't know if that makes sense, Sarah, as a a concept. Definitely. In fact, you touched on something that I talk a lot about with my clients and that's around, you know, that being authentic and so, you know, we talk a lot about things like building a profile in your industry so you can be seen as an industry leader and obviously that benefits you in terms of you get more opportunities and so forth and a common theme is, you know, I don't want to be that sort of that person who's over there, out there being really brash, self-promoter. I want to be an authentic leader, have an authentic brand and you touched on authenticity before and sometimes in order to be authentic, you have to accept that you are not 100% perfect. Right? And I know you talk about perfection, but also around authenticity, like a lot of people don't want to show their faults. They don't want to say, well, you know, I actually can't operate like Grant Cardone at 10x, you know, <laughs> my whole life. I don't wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go to bed at, you know, one. Right? So how do you sort of happen? Have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we're all different. Our society as a whole has revered us being always on, right? And revered productivity and performance coming from that always on nature. But actually, we're all completely different. And we were talking before, in order to be authentic, we've got to start figuring out and getting comfortable with who we are, right? Actually, I'm not going to come in and do my best work 
on my ninth meeting of a day and I really want to be present for you, but that's not going to be possible. So part of, I guess, being authentic is tuning into that body intelligence, is tuning into our emotions and how we're feeling about things. And then importantly, having the courage to go against the expectations that may be there in our system to say, actually, that isn't going to work for me, but I really want to do a great job here and I can do it in this way, you know, but, you know, we have to A, tune into it and get clear on what the boundary is for us authentically. B, we have to then communicate that to others. And then the third thing about boundaries and really feeling comfortable showing up as yourself is maintaining the boundaries, right? And we all know when we've been inauthentic and we've set our boundaries and then we've like stepped over our own boundaries and it feels horrible. It feels like we haven't shown up as ourselves. And the whole game is to start becoming aware of those boundaries, articulating them, communicating them, and then being able to actually be authentic and own and have confidence to say, this is who I am. And I want to be a great leader, but I'm going to need to do that in my way. Yeah, definitely. And I can see how perfectionism plays into that a lot, you know, wanting to be perfect or being a people pleaser or any of those sort of areas. And I would imagine that when you're doing these workshops for leaders, this is an important part of how you lead your team as well. If I talk about CEOs that I've worked with in the past, one was a really, I wouldn't say he was the best leader in the world, but he was great in terms of his own boundaries. You know, he used to get up and swim every morning and he used to cook his wife dinner. It's pretty amazing considering he ran a ASX listed company. The other one was on email all the time. You would get an email from him at 4.30 in the morning. You, you know, it did not matter. And so you felt like you had to be on all the time. And even though he did set his own boundaries himself in other areas, but it makes you realise that how much as a leader you impact other people. It's so true, actually. And what we talk about is this kind of um, candle metaphor, I guess, in the world of leadership, well-being and energy management, there is a really classic old adage of get your own oxygen mask on first so that you can give more to others. But actually, we don't want to give all our energy out to others. That isn't sustainable. So we talk about the thought of uh, the candle, that a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. So it's our role as leaders to coach, inspire and empower others to figure out what energizes and lights them up. But that has to start with us figuring out ourselves and then inspiring, coaching and empowering others to self-lead and figure it out. So we can actually create a system that of people staying energized. And me as a leader, I'm not giving all my energy to everybody else. I'm empowering them to figure out how they stay energized. And I think as leaders, we really need to role model, you know, like actually I'm leaving to go pick up the kids because I've got that family time is really important to me and energizing and ultimately, or I'm going to the gym or whatever that might be, because then it signals, oh, it's okay in this system for me to go and do that and take care of myself. Oh my gosh, that reminds me of early on in my career, there was a lady who was probably my age now, had kids, and she used to leave her jacket on her chair so she always looked like she was at work. So you never knew if she was gone or whether she was there, but she always wanted to maintain that she was there. I worked with a lot of women before I had kids who had children and had to pick up you know, kids and they, they sort of talk about it as the walk of shame, having to walk out of the office, you know. <laughs> Leaders leaving loudly. Leaving loudly. That's that's a great one. 
I love that. Yeah, and it actually, and it has not come from me. Actually, it came within our leadership wellbeing programs. We used to have a lot of masterminds around. Okay, how do we balance client demands, economic pressures, and our wellbeing? And so we would be having these really robust conversations about, okay, what do I need to be doing as a leader to actually shift the culture in my business, to shift the fact that we actually value the energy and the well-being of our people and that that must come first. And when we get that right, then we do better work for everybody else. And one of them really coined it and he said, I've started uh, running again. And he said, I've started leaving loudly and telling everyone that I'm running again. And I just think that's brilliant. You know, like it just captures, I think we all need to do in order to whether we're inside the system or outside the system, like you or I, Sarah, you know, how I'm so passionate about supporting people in the system to stay energized and be that role model so that they can create the change for so many more people than I can impact alone, you know. That's amazing. I love that. One of the things that you wrote about recently was about emotions. Can you share with us a little bit more about that? You know, because it was an interesting article, you know, it was about being more emotional, wasn't it, rather than being... It sure was because I personally think that emotions are like the dirty word around town and the amount of times I get the phone call that's like, hey, can you just deal with this person? They're too emotional. You know, like that's what we get all the time. Or conversations, you know, with a superior and they say, you're just being emotional. I've heard that from different people, not from myself, but from other people I've worked with who've said to me, you know, it's so annoying. I tried to express my view and I was told, stop being so emotional. You're just getting emotional. I feel like that's such a, it's a little bit gaslighting. It's a little bit sort of put you back in your box and shut up, which I don't like. You know, I think that's a really, yeah, I'm not a fan of that term, but I'm, that's why I was so fascinated in what you wrote. So share with us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I really subscribe to Dr. Susan David's work and she writes about emotional rigidity versus emotional agility. And so emotional rigidity is the fact that we have grown up in our societal conditioning being told that some emotions are good to express and some emotions are bad. Like express the good happy ones, don't express the frustration or the sadness or the disappointment, right? So effectively, we can't necessarily show up with the full range of emotions, but she advocates for emotional agility, that we can experience and express the full suite and range of emotions, right? But what tends to happen is we get in this emotional rigid space and we think we can't express those emotions. So it's like we pat them in the box and we numb them and we push them down and we don't deal with them. And the challenge with that is, as Brene Brown would say, is we cannot selectively numb our emotions. If we numb some of the emotions, we are numbing all of the emotions. And this is why I see people that they can't experience a sense of happiness or joy around a project finishing or getting good results because they've been numbing out trying to just push through and they haven't been regulating and experiencing emotions. And the reason I know that often when people are not regulating and being present to the full range of emotions, it's when you know, you're having a conversation and someone is suddenly in tears, right? They've been holding it in for so long and then it explodes. And that's what the challenge is when people in these systems experience strong emotions like that, they really kind of fear or pull back or shame them or make them wrong. Whereas in the first place, if we revered emotional agility and we said, we want the full range of emotions, we need to be emotional as leaders. It's the only way we can connect to others. 
right? It's the only way we can get people on the missions with us is if we are emotionally connected to ourselves and therefore connected to others. But what we're getting in our workplaces is it's not okay to show emotions, we're numbing out, and we're totally transactional in our relationships. No wonder people are leaving, right? <laughs> you know, It's a really interesting point because in one of my first working environments, I came across a lot of very aggressive. Now, it wasn't aggression to me, but it was in meetings where there would be a lot of aggression. And it was quite common. And you probably saw it in advertising as well. As you know, on the buying floor, it was one of those things that you would see as well. I feel like that has been shut out as well. So while the wrong behaviors have been shut out, a lot of that has been shut out too. And I'm not saying the aggression is good, but I feel like we've squashed it all. It wasn't just, you know, like what you were saying. Like, I think it's almost, it's the bad, the good, the ugly. <laughs> so do you think we've regressed? I don't know if we've regressed. I just don't think it's particularly got that much better. And especially in this very changeful, high pressure environment at the moment, people are just transacting because they've got so much to do. They're like, I can't deal with these emotions right now. I can't deal with my own emotions because I just need to get this stuff done, right? And so I don't know if it's regressed, but I guess the conversation has opened up around emotional regulation and resilience. I'm getting asked more than ever before to do work in this space and to teach people how to regulate emotions because all that's really happening is our fight flight systems are going off because we're not safe. I feel like there's a fear as well for people as leaders. So if somebody comes to you crying, for example, there's a feeling of, oh, am I going to be in trouble for this? Or am I going to get wrapped over the knuckles from HR? Am I going to, you know, so I feel like there's people are almost too scared to engage sometimes yeah. because of that. So the backlash that potentially it's, it's your fault. Are you seeing any of that? I do think there's a fear of knowing how to deal with it and what the implications of that might be. And I think You're giving someone a hug is not okay. You know? Yeah. And the way that I think about this, because also what I see is leaders get right down there in the emotions of others and they go to sympathy or empathy and they get caught up in the emotions. And I really like Erasmus Hulegaard's work around compassion. So as leaders, how do we watch not getting empathy fatigued and getting on in there? You know, all the emotions, compassion is empathy in action. So how can we say, oh, that looks really challenging for you. I can see there's some strong emotions at play. What's the next step you want to take? So I'm not down in there fixing and protecting and, you know, saying, I'll sort that out. Don't worry. You're in tears. You know, we are building dependent people. We're saying, that's okay that these emotions are here. And I trust that you know what you need. I don't need to come in and fix and solve. What I just said was almost going to the I've got to fix your emotions. I've got to shut those down again, wasn't it? Like, <laughs> which is where some people, I suppose, will come at it from because that's what you, you know, you don't want people crying in your teeth. But I love what you said about that. So, taking that step back, it's very much sort of what would happen in a coaching environment. You know, it's like you have the answers inside you and I'm going to help. Like, I'll be here and what do you need? Yeah. And that way, that is for us as leaders, sitting back in that coach mode just means that we're not taking everything on and we're building dependable people. Um, we have to not be afraid because the emotions are just signs and signals for us. Oh, okay, someone is exhausted and overwhelmed or not regulating their emotions or is highly stressed. 
you know, that fight flight is going off. And so their rational brain is not online, right? And so, you know, for us, it's how do we create psychological safety as leaders? How do we accept all the range of the emotions that are there and role model that that's okay. Okay, I can see there's some strong emotions. Let's take a moment. How do you want to work through this? What support do you need from me? Or maybe you just need a timeout, you know, and it's not that we're solving, but we're being prepared to be present to the range of emotions. But that does start with us being comfortable and confident with our own emotions in ourselves. Because if we're not, we can be doing the freak out. Oh my God, what does this mean for me if this person in my team is crying? Like, what is the report card that's coming to me? You know, like, and if we're not feeling confident in how we're leading and showing up, then that's really what's happening there, right? And so really the whole game for us is to support support ourselves first, you know, and to get comfortable with some days I'm feeling terrible and I've got a whole string of emotions at play and that is okay. I am a human being, you know. I think as well when I think about your audience, Sarah, who may be having to show up build profile, they're on show more so, you know, that takes a lot of energy and compassion and self-support to do that. And some days, I'm sure you speak to your clients though, and they're maybe not feeling great. And some days maybe it is a time to not be out there and to regroup and re-energize. And then other days, maybe you're on fire and, you know, you're happy to be out there. And I think we would probably feel like that as ourselves. I know when I'm, you know, building, you know, obviously as business people, we have to be building our profile all the time or otherwise nobody knows what we do and how we can help. And there's definitely days when I think, oh, God, I couldn't think of doing a video or a podcast today. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yes, I very much relate to that. So, Claire, tell us when you're not working or when you need to recharge, what are you doing? Good question. I'm highly, highly structured in my diary in terms of when I have on time and client delivery time, when I have work on the business time and when I have downtime and rest time. And so I've just started to tune in again to that BQ of when do I function the best in order to maintain my energy in my weeks. So that might look like I only really see clients from Tuesday afternoon till Thursday. So Tuesday, one afternoon, Wednesday and Thursday, and I will never see more than really four clients in a day. And I will always have significant gaps in between those sessions so that I can get downtime so I can eat. I've learned to eat, Sarah, in in my days so I can get out for a walk. And then I like to have a lot of thinking time on a Monday. And I like to have crazy and study time on a Friday because I find that if I'm not growing and learning, like that really stimulates and energizes me. And then I am a stickler. I've got my Pilates and yoga sessions in. I'm a meditator, so I'm always meditating and out walking first thing in the morning. So I really have quite a rigid routine of what I need. And then I am thinking about planning my energy across the whole year, which is something that people don't tend to do. They tend to kind of get into the daily, weekly things. But actually, how do we not collapse in a big heap at Christmas or feel like we're just crawling to the Christmas finish line in like October? It seems to get earlier every year. And so with all my execs, I'm saying, okay, you should have at least a week off every quarter, ideally one to two longer holidays in your year. I have a monthly long weekend, so I always have a Friday off once a month, so I'm away. And I'm often at conferences or study times, and that will go in my diary first when I plan my year. That's like the non-negotiable stuff. 
And then I'll bring my client work and projects into that because I know if I don't get this formula right and think about, you know, we're athletes, you know, to your point, yes. Sarah, we do have to be on and we have to add value and we can't do that unless we're energized. So I'm quite strict and serious about that. And I generally don't see clients first thing in the morning, not clients or I love being with my clients, don't get me wrong, but generally first thing in the morning, I subscribe to the deep work hypothesis where if I've got high cognitive load thinking work that comes from the work of Stephen Guys, I am having me time first thing when I'm most energized, then I'll have team time or client time. And then at the end of my day, I'm having monkey time, which yeah. is admin tasks. I'm not trying to get my high cognitive load thinking done at the end of the day, which is what I used to do historically in my old world so I'm yeah quite rigid does that answer your question Sarah yeah definitely that sounds great it sounds like you've got it all sorted okay so last question before we wrap up I always ask my guests this question but inspirational books I'm thinking about that actually because I all my inspirational books are kind of right behind me so I do have Atomic Habits there James Clear's book which I know many of your community may have read, but I love his work around atomic habits because it's really around you've got to create the internal feeling of change in order to create the habit and the change. And it comes back to our sense of boundaries and self-worth and our identity and seeing ourselves or feeling that we are someone that can be a thriving, energized leader, right? So if you are curious about this space and shifting your habits to stay energized, I, I totally recommend his book. And then, you know, I mentioned Dr. Susan David, her book on emotional agility is fabulous. Brene Brown's work. I have read her Dare to Lead book actually three times and done her course. So if you are curious about being a really strong, emotionally empowered leader, then I would highly recommend she's got lots of great tools in her book around how we rumble with emotions and have the grave conversations that matter and how we get really comfortable with owning our emotions in that space. So if that is something that you know you need to work on or you need to work on with your team, I highly recommend the Dare to Lead. First of all, thank you so much because I feel like we've just got so many interesting points from you and tips. It's just been fabulous. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find you? Thank you. I've loved this conversation as well, um, Sarah. And yeah, people can find me on LinkedIn at Claire Robinson. And they can also find me at www.clarityinc.com. That is spelled C-L-A-R-E-T-Y-I-N-C.com. So those are the best places to find me. Fantastic. I'm sure you'll get lots of um, connection requests from um, listeners. I would love that. <laughs> Thank you again. And reach out to Claire if you'd like to learn more or follow her on LinkedIn. And she writes some really fantastic stuff as well. So thank you again, Claire. And I'll see you all next week. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you've learned something from this episode that's going to help you make actionable changes in the way you approach your career. If you liked today's episode, make sure to rate, review and share this with a friend. And as always, see you next time.